Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, I preview day four of the 2024 Australian Open, our first day of round two play in both the women's and men's singles draws. And given the fact that most of our top seeds, certainly our top contenders, emerged from round one relatively unscathed, we've got some really fun matchups set up over the course of of the next two days. Of course, we have 32 singles matches on the schedule on day four. Thus, I feel like it might help all of you tennis fans to have a priority list in order of operation of things you don't want to miss on day four as you try to capture all the headlines, try to capture all the best moments from any given day of the year's first major. Thus, as we have done throughout the course of this Australian Open on today's preview show, I want to break down my favorite singles matches we have on the calendar on day number four. I've got five must-watches on the women's side, four must-watches on the men's, but plenty of things to nerd out about as well. And as always, I don't just want to name those matchups for all of you listeners. I want to get into the details of these head-to-head matchups. What are stats I think are pertinent to these matches as we enter each of them? What are some things you should look for on court from a tactical perspective from each of these players as well? Again, I like to nerd out. I like to go in-depth with these previews. Hopefully, it's content all of you listeners enjoy. If you do, if you don't, you can always let us know at Cracked Rackets or me specifically at A.L. Gruskin on social media. Of course, if you are looking for recap content, the Mini Break podcast feed is the place for all of you listeners where we recap each and every day of the year's first major. That said, again, here on the Great Shot podcast feed, the preview sort of indicates what I plan on doing. I want to preview day four of this Australian Open for all of you listeners. So, Without further ado, let's get into our first day of round two play in the singles draw. And let's start on the women's side of things. It is a loaded day two on the calendar, the bottom half of the draw in action. It was really tough to pick which match I enjoyed most. I wanted to list number one on this must-watch category because, you know, again, I don't want to be disingenuous with all of you listeners. I understand that my priorities, my preferences may not be the preferences of tennis fans more broadly. Thus, of course, I do. I mean, every list I create is biased. It comes from my mind. But I do try to keep that perspective in mind, try to keep in mind the fact that certainly the majority of tennis fans want to watch the top seeds, the top players in the world in action. Certainly, we've got a bunch of them who will be playing on day number four. But my top match on the women's side, one I think you just have to watch if you want to capture the ethos of day number four. It's a second round battle between 25th seeded Elisa Mertens and unseeded Marta Kostyuk. Now, of course, Elisa Mertens, 28 years old. She's coming off of a final last week where I thought she played really well to kick off her season. Uh, obviously, you look for Elisa Mertens knocked out in that final three sets by Emma Navarro. But other than that, drop the one set on her way to that final in Hobart last week. Obviously won a title in Monastir at the 250 level to end her 2023 season. Her two losses this year to Emma Navarro, 7-5 in the third, and to Elena Rabak. And I got no shame in that game if you're Elisa Mertens. And look, a lot of my fondness for Mertens entering this event 
is eye test driven, and how could it not be? It's the first month of the season. We've seen two and a half weeks of play thus far, maybe four, five matches out of the majority of these players, if that, but I'm telling you, there is just a little extra spring in the step of Elisa Mertens right now, who... She's. I just think she's moving as well as she ever has. I think she's hitting her first serve as confidently as she ever has. And for what it's worth, she's holding 70.5% of the time through eight matches this year. That would obviously be a top 25 hold percentage number and 3% above her career high. The break percentage, 41.5%, always a perennial top 10, 15 returner. That's right in line with her career average of 418 I see extra pace on her first serve. I see a confidence to hit the plus one ball, move forward behind it again, whether it's the lobs, the slices, the different things she can do to extend points. Does Elisa Mertens play Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club Tennis? She does not. Can her forehand be overwhelmed by elite pace? It can be, but... She is a good litmus test for what it means to be a top 25, top 20 player. If you don't have the weapons, the consistency, the physicality to get through her, you just you shouldn't be seated at a slam, truth be told. And I think we're getting the best version of that, Mertens, to start the season. Here's the thing. We might also be getting the best version of 21-year-old Marta Kostyuk. And I say that word that age one more time, Marta Kostyuk's still just 21 years old. It feels like she's been a part of our lives forever. Obviously, she played 36 matches during the 2021 season when she turned 19. Thus, you know, again, it's three years of her. You feel like that's a player who should be entering their mid-20s, not 21 years old still yet. That's where we are with Kostyuk. And look, Kostyuk won her first title last year in Austin. She went 24-21 and overall, her best record since that 2021 season. And There were some moments, certainly for Kostyuk, whether it was beating Sakari at Wimbledon or, again, winning that first title, and yet the consistency, you know, again, I've said this before about the 21-year-old Marta Kostyuk. I think she's a special athlete. I think she's in that Andrescu model where good mover, yet sneaky powerful, can do a little bit of everything on court as well. Dare I say, she's an amplified athlete version of Elisa Mertens, the more athletic, slightly more powerful version of the jack-of-all-trays who doesn't really have that plan A to overwhelm any opponent, but can take away an opponent's plan A pretty quickly and get into B, C, D of a game extraordinarily well. Again, Kostyuk's coming out of the gates really well to start the season. Wins over Kalinina, Townsend, and Claire Liu, a tight loss to Yelena Ostapenko in the Adelaide quarterfinal. I've liked the level. I've seen from her thus far, and again, against Lisa Mertens, who doesn't overwhelm you with her pace, Kostyuk's going to have time to be athletic, to gain confidence, to gain rhythm, to find the forehand cross, to find the backhand line. Again, this is a very athletic match between two players who can do a little bit of everything. Elisa Mertens, 1-0 in the career head-to-head. They faced off at Indian Wells in March of 2022. Obviously, a lot's changed for both since the conditions in Australia could not be more different than the conditions we have in Indian Wells. It's a big moment for Marta Kostyuk, and I guess two more stats, or here's the fun stats, fun fact I have for this match coming into it. You look for Marta Kostyuk in her career, or excuse me, you look for Elisa Mertens in her career. She's 21-1. and 21-1 and in the second round of majors in her career, and obviously had that massive streak of 19 consecutive third rounds at the majors snapped last year at Wimbledon when she lost a tight three setter to Alina Svitolina. But 21 and one at 
in round two of majors. Again, that's not Hall of Fame stuff. I don't even know if that's Hall of Very Good stuff. That's Hall of Good stuff. Like, if you are making 21 third rounds or better at the majors in your career, you ain't going to need to work a second job. And I had one lister point out when I was talking about Elise Mertens last week when I said, oh, she's probably made a couple million dollars in her career. It's not just a couple million for Elisa Mertens. The 28-year-old so far career prize money, $12.8 million. It's better than I've done. And she's a month younger than me, so I guess she's winning that race for what it's worth. For And on the other side, the stat for Kostyuk, again, just to give you one more number to ponder, I suppose, as you prepare for this match in her career at Grand Slam events against top 50 players. Kostyuk, 8-13 overall. You look at that record, filter out, uh, again, top 20 versus top 50. She's 2-9 and nine against the top 20, 6-4 and four against players ranked 21 through 50 at the majors in the rankings. Here's the thing. She's very much a tennis chameleon. Uh, whatever the level you get across the net from Marta Kostyuk is often what you get from Marta. Sometimes that's elite tennis. Sometimes it's scratch your head. How is she a top 100 player tennis? Because sometimes things can go astray. She can get frustrated. Anyways, I just think this match is going to be excellent. I think it's going to be athletic. I think you're going to get a little bit of everything. It's a massive moment for Kostyuk, who right now is sitting outside that top 32, but hovering at 34 in the live rankings. Mertens sitting at 25. She wants to make another top 20 push here, obviously, as she nears the end of the peaks of her powers, 28 years old. I say that not that her prime is ending, but you feel like that peak 26 or 25 to 28 range athletically. Anyways, that's one of my favorite matches on the day. You look at the tennis abstract, singles forecast, Mertens ever so slightly the favorite, 53.9%. It's a must-watch on day number four of this Australian Open. I got four other must-watch matches on the women's side. A lot of them are... Based on a narrative, well, again, the reason three of them are on the list, A, they feature top seeds, and it's a storyline I've been monitoring throughout the course of these first few days in Melbourne. And that storyline, if you listen to the mini break or you listen to our draw previews, is the plethora of talented 16-year-olds we have on the WTA Tour right now. Three in particular who all reached round number two of this Australian Open, Mira Andreeva, Brenda Fruvertova, Alina Kornieva. They're all in action on day number four, and they all face top 10 seeds. Let's start with the one with the most pedigree, Mira Andriva taking on Ons Jabur Andriva. For what it's worth, five and five in her career against top 20 opponents. Two wins against Krejcikova, a win against Samsonova, a win against Lynette Haddad Maya as well. The losses, two to Goff, one to Sabalenka, a three-set loss to Rabakana, and a three-set loss to Madison Keys. Like, and by the way, one of her losses to Goff, also three sets. Damn, like that's my response to looking at that record is clearly, again, the higher the level opponent, dare I say, the better Mira and Deriva we get. And look, that makes a lot of sense because a lot of what the 16-year-old does is reactive on court. Yes, her first serve is going to be a moneymaker for her moving forward. She's got the height. She's got the athleticism. The way she explodes into that serve, it will be the table setter that should win her some free points throughout the course of her career. But again, plays the ball a little bit close to her body. Things can get a little bit handsy, and yet she seems perfectly comfortable with that technique. Her ability to extend through the backhand, never in question. When she has some time on the forehand wing, she can explode through it really quick for someone her height in and out of corners. Just a good mover overall. Again, a special sort of athlete. 
She's going to have time in her matchup against Ons Jabur in round number two. And for what it's worth, Jabur 22-8 and eight against opponents under the age of 21 since the start of this pandemic era, August 2020. By the way, four of her eight losses to Coco Goff. So, all right. 22 and 4 to players not named Coco Goff under the age of 21. One loss to Iga when she was under 21, so 22 and 3. Two losses to Chin Wen, who I think, all due respect to Andreeva, has certainly shown a higher level. So now you're at 22 and 1, and that one loss is a 6 3 in the third loss to Linda Noskova. Again, I got no shame in that loss. Here's what I'm saying, though. If Andreeva is on that level, that tier of prospect, there's a pathway for her to win this match against Ans Jabur. Again, Jabur is going to be aggressive. Jabur is going to throw in slices. Jabur is going to beat you to the spot. She is going to test your footwork, make you hit from uncomfortable angles. Just try and take away your rhythm, prevent you from getting into a flow. I think Andreeva is the sort of athlete that will be able to hang, handle those slices, that will be able to find herself in the right position. I think it's pace, not movement, or forced movement, that overwhelms Andariva at this point. And, I mean, again, if her, if she can land first serves, always a big if in a moment like this when there's a little bit of pressure on you. But if her first serve is landing and she can do a little bit of dictating, she's going to have time in this match to make it physical. Time to test the Jabur, who looked good in round number one, but has still only played one match here on this 2024 season. Obviously, first career head-to-head between the two, but I'm fascinated by that one. I would lean Jabur, as does Tennis Abstract. Jabur right now, a 64.1% favorite, but 64.1% against a 16-year-old. Speaks to what Mira Andreeva has already accomplished thus far in her career. you got to put that on the list. I think Sabalenka is going to roll against Brenda Fruvertova in their first career head-to-head. She's a 92.6% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. And look, I mean, again... It's the pace. Like, as excited as I am by Fruvertova's aggression, as excited as I am by the urgency she plays with, the way she competes, the way she goes after the ball, even in that loss to Coco Goff in Auckland, 6-3, 6-love. First of all, she played Goff even the first 25, 30 minutes of that match before just athletically, physically, Goff was able to get Fruvertova stretched, press her consistency, pull away in that match. Fruvertova, by the way, just five career matches against top 50 players where she's 1-4, she's 2-8 against the top 100 in her career. And again, I just don't think I've ever seen someone who plays with the pace of Arena Sabalenka ever before. And you have to experience it before you can believe it. For what it's worth, Sabalenka, 9-7 against players under the age of 21 since the start of 2022. But three of those seven losses to Iga, the other two of the others to Coco Goff, the other two to Amanda Nisimova in three sets. So again, if Brenda Fruvertova wants to prove she is in that tier of player, that caliber of prospect moving forward, go give Sabalenka a run. She's going to have the opportunity to swing freely. Now her second serve is going to be a liability. And the way Sabalenka dropped one game in round number one, again, she's locked in. Defending champ could very well make this one-way traffic. But Fruvertova's got weapons, and just the way she competes, I am fascinated to watch her try to adjust to all things Sabalenka. Again, I think Sabalenka wins, but if it's three and three, That's a win for Brenda Fruvertova, who obviously already got the win in making round number two of this event, and Fruvertova right now into the top 100 for the first time, career high 94 in the live rankings as a result of that first round win. So she's sitting pretty no matter what, and again, I I said this on the mini break, I believe, or maybe even I said this yesterday, but she gets to walk out of Australia having played two of the top four players in the world, in Goff, in Sabalenka, 
and if nothing else, is also a top 100 player as a result of her success. A roaring start and the perfect experience for the 2024 year, uh, for the 16-year-old to kick off her 2024 season. That's another, again, top seed versus 16-year-old. And then last but not least, Beatrice Haddad-Maya playing Alina Kornieva. Kornieva, of course, last year's Junior Australian Open, Junior French Open champion with the result of her first-round win in Australia. She is up 40 spots to a new career high, number 139 16-year-old plays with real pace, and she was disciplined the way she competes as well, the way she looks to be the aggressor. You just, you have to have that mentality. You have to be willing to to go down swinging against Sarah Cerebez Tormo, and that's precisely what we saw from the 16-year-old in her first-round victory, 4-6-6-3-6-2. Again, was down 4-1 against Cerebez Tormo in that first set, and then dictated the rest of the way. And for what it's worth, Kortnieva, that's her first, not just top 50 win, it's her first top 100 win. She's 1-1 one one against the top 100 in her career. That's the only top 100 experience she has. By the way, for her career against all opponents, just 69 matches where she's 55-14 and 14 overall. A ridiculous start to her career again. She's leaving Australia a winner no matter what. For what it's worth, Beatrice Haddad-Maya, the 27-year-old, who again had to grind through a three-set victory over a similar young player who I honestly... Don't think is as fluid nor as consistently aggressive as Alina Kornieva in Linda Fruvertova. Hadadmai is 11 and 8 against players under the age of 21 since the start of this pandemic era, August 2020. And her losses aren't to Goff or Sviantek. Now, she does have a couple of losses to Fernandez, a three set loss to Radakanu, but she's lost to Andriva. She's lost to a Katie Valley match. She's lost to a Camilla Rakimova. Haddad Maya throws in some stinkers when the forehand starts to spray on her. And again, there will be 20 minutes in every match where you feel like opponents can really make moves on her, much like Fruvertova did, who was swinging through the backhand so freely. Again, Kornieva's never seen this sort of pace level before in, a, in at least a professional level match. And Haddad Maya is so relentless with her serve, with her plus one forehand. Again, it's going to take some adjusting for Alina Kornieva. But I'm fascinated by that match because Kornieva's got herself a heck of a first serve as well to get Haddad Maya off that baseline. And she will swing freely uh, from the baseline as well to try and hit Haddad Maya off center, get her stretch. So of the three, and I mean, it's not exactly a shock, even though Andriva has the pedigree and Jabur perhaps a little less match tough coming into this Melbourne than Haddad Maya is, I actually think Kornieva of the three has the best chance to win. Obviously, Tennis Abstract disagrees, going with Andriva's 5-5 five and five record against top 100 opponents versus 5-5 uh, five and five against the top 20, excuse me, versus uh, Kornieva, who has just a 22.4% chance to Haddad Maya's 77.6. So according to Tennis Abstract, Andriva has the best chance. Now, that makes sense given the pedigree. I'm going to take the upset. That's going to be my upset special for you. Kornieva going to knock out Haddad Maya, uh, make things really fun for all of us to enjoy, certainly, uh, in that match. But keep your eye on all the 16-year-olds. It's certainly one of the storylines I imagine I will be discussing in Day 4's recap over on the Mini Break podcast feed. Last, but certainly not least, another first career head-to-head in the must-watch category. I'm just excited for the explosiveness, for the aggression, for all things Alicia Parks versus Layla Fernandez. And 
Look, Parks has really struggled since winning the Lyon title last season. In her career, she's 7-16 and against the top 50. She's lost her last eight matches against top 50 opponents, whether it's players like Bencic, Jabur, Kasakina, or players like Kalinina, Julin, Trevisan as well. So she's had some struggles, certainly of late, just 23-29 and over her last 52 weeks and has those massive Lyon points coming up to defend. But, I mean, to Parks' credit, come from behind three-set win against Daria Sneger in round number one seemed to find her rhythm on the return of serve was swinging on the backhand so freely by the end of that match. Her first serve is just the real deal. And the weapon she has, the aggression she plays with, it will make anyone uncomfortable. That said, Leila Fernandez has played some real ball of late. Certainly 41-24 and 24 over her last 52 straight set win over Sarah Balick in round number one. She's 12-5 and five in her career at the majors against opponents ranked outside the top 50. One of those losses was to an outside the top 100 Emma Raducanu in a U.S. Open final. I think we can throw that one out given the Raducanu level of play at the, in the moment. But, you know, again, I'm fascinated to see her against the big server here and you know just to try and get some sort of approximation it's not going to be the best equivalent here but you look for Leila Fernandez in her career against opponents over six foot she's six and five overall you want to go to the five ten mark again just you think the taller the player the bigger the weapons she's 29 and 21 overall if you have some weapons you can certainly overwhelm a Fernandez the question is can Parks execute them consistently enough I'm going to lean no. I think Layla's played really, really well of late. So I think Fernandez gets through there, according to Tennis Abstract. Fernandez, the favorite, 79.2%. But again, those are five really fun must-watch matches for all sorts of different reasons. Mertens versus Kostyuk. Jabur versus Andriva. Just the collective athleticism. Sabalenka, Fruvertova, Haddad, Maya, Kornieva. The firepower in those matches. And then the contrast in styles. The relentless power, aggressive tennis of Alicia Parks versus the speed, the counterpunching, beaches to the spot nature. Not that it's not aggressive, but again, a different sort of aggression out of Layla Fernandez. Those are my must-watch on the women's side. I also have a couple for the nerds on my list as well. Paula Bedosa versus Anastasia Pavlichenkova is only left off the must-watch list because I think I'm going to have them included in the third round, so we'll save them for later. But obviously a massive moment for both. You think if you win this round two match, you're going to be the favorite over either Anisimova or Podoroska in round number three. And Pavza was excellent. She's been excellent all season long. Straight set win over Vekic, the latest incident in round number one of this event. Bedosa, similarly comfortable straight set win in round number one over Taylor Townsend. Pavlichenkova, 51.9% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. I believe that is our tightest match of round number two in the women's singles draw. And in fact, my estimation is proven correct after a glance through. It's a fun contrast of styles. Pavs has the firepower advantage, Bedosa the more fluid mover, and she can obviously both produce pace and reinforce and, dare I say, uh, react and absorb redirect pace. That's the term I was looking for when she is at her best. She seems to be getting closer to it. That's a fun one. I'm going to lean Paula Bedosa. Why not? To get her first big win as she is back on the comeback trail. If you want grinding athleticism, 
I think Wozniacki Timofeeva is going to be a grind. I think Wozniacki gets through, but that match is going to be extraordinarily physical for what it's worth. Caroline Wozniacki, the favorite, uh, entering 92.7% according to Tennis Abstract. And then, just one upset alert. Lucia Serenko, the 28th seed, three-set winner in round one. She's a 70.3% favorite over 24-year-old Spaniard Rebecca Masarova. But I'm just telling you. Masarova's the real deal. Like she's got the height. She's got the weapons. If she can find the consistency, there's a top 50 player there. That's another upset alert for you. I'll take Masarova to knock off, uh, off Serenko, excuse me, and provide us another upset on day number four of this Australian Open. But that's my must-watch and most interesting matches on the women's side. Again, I had eight of them for you there. Let's move over to the men's side where I've got eight for you as well. Four must-watches as well as four for the nerds. Let's start in the must-watch category. This is going to be peak athleticism. Alex Diemenauer taking on Matteo Arnaldi for the first time. The 22-year-old obviously continuing his ascent up the rankings. Arnaldi right now sitting at a career-high 37 in the live rankings. Of course, Alex Diemenauer reached a career-high of 10 last week in the rankings and has fallen to 12 with his Australian Open points coming off of his resume, but he's a top 10 seed at a major for the first time in his career. He got pushed by the aggression of Milos Raonic, who just go for broke game style. Sometimes that works. He has the weapons to pull him off. He won the first set 7-6. Demon Hour started to impose his physicality from there and was going to pull away from the, in that match, I think, regardless of the withdrawal from Milos Raonic, who had to unfortunately pull out in set number three due to injury. Look, the the weaponry, the all-out aggression goes down for Demon Hour in match number two, but the athleticism skyrockets in taking on Matteo Arnaldi. Now, Arnaldi 54-27 and 27 over his last 52 weeks of play. Made a fourth round at the U.S. Open, obviously. For what it's worth, he's 2-7 and seven in his career against top 20 opponents. One of those wins on clay courts uh, against Kasparud, the other, the U.S. Open victory here last year in the round of 32 against Cam Norrie. The big stat for Demonauer in his career at hard court majors, 24-4 and four against players ranked outside the top 20. And he hasn't lost a match to a player outside the top 20 at a hard court major since losing to Taylor Fritz at the 2021 U.S. Open. Which, by the way, that's a brutal first-round draw. His four losses to non-top 20 players, Fritz, Dimitrov, 31st-seeded Sam Query, and in his very first match, lost in qualifying to Kimmer Kopp and Hans in 2016 when he was just 16 years old. So, yeah, like, he has been, very, you know, again, the toughest of outs on hard courts. Dare I say the litmus test player for entry into the top 20, maybe now you'd say top 15 on hard courts over the course of his career. Obviously, the weapons have grown for Demonauer. It looked exceptional in victories over both Zverev and Djokovic at United Cup. Has the home crowd in Australia behind him as well. But I'll tell you what, I know Arnaldi's only 2-7 and seven against the top 20 in his career. I know you look at his record in ATP level events on hard courts. He's just 15 and 13 overall in those events. And again, that round of 16 U.S. Open result, the standout result. He's only made one quarterfinal in his career on hard courts. That came this year to start the season in Brisbane. But this is a 22-year-old clearly on the rise. And I'm just telling you, there is no clear-cut weapon advantage for either of these players. They're both very, very quick 
in and out of corners. They both hit the forehand, backhand pretty solidly, pretty consistently with pretty good depth and pretty good action on the ball. I'd argue Arnaldi actually probably has a little bit more pace on his neutral ground stroke than Demonauer. Demonauer can crank things up certainly higher than Arnaldi can on the forehand. The serve, slight advantage Demon, but again, it's pretty wash across the board there. Experience-wise, Crowd-wise, you lead Demon Hour, but again, I'm a big believer in the tennis Matteo Arnaldi has played of late. I just he doesn't have a definitive weakness, and that's what Demon Hour typically does to opponents: is he breaks down the thing they do worst as well, it takes away the thing they do best. Again, Matteo Arnaldi tries to do that to his opponents as well. He'll have some opportunities to dictate with his forehand to swing freely. There's just going to be a lot of extended rallies in this match. I'm not sure if it'll be straight sets. I'd probably lean Demon in four. But this one's just going to be fun. Like, this is just going to be a popcorn sort of point-by-point tennis match that I know every fan will enjoy. So this is number one on my must-watch list. Just the totality of athleticism and things each of these guys can do. And by the way, again, a massive moment for Alex Diemenauer. It'd be a massive letdown if he doesn't at least give himself a bite at the apple against a Rublev in the round of 16 or a look God willing for him against a sinner in a quarterfinal as well. Would be a massive disappointment for Demon Hour if he doesn't reach reach week number two. This is maybe the toughest matchup he could have been dealt uh, in this second round if you look for as a top 10 seed in taking on a top 50 guy in Matteo Arnaldi, a guy who's closer to 30 than he is to 50. And for what it's worth, Demon Hour, 77.5% favorite according to the tennis abstract singles forecast he's top five in hard court wins Arnaldi's made one quarterfinal in his career on hard courts that makes sense but buckle your seatbelts. that's going to be a track meet one I'm certainly looking forward to I'm also looking forward to this contrast how about Andre Rublev versus Chris Eubanks Eubanks obviously he's reached a quarterfinal at a major has to be taken seriously despite just the three and eight record in his career against top 20 opponents you know, again, beat Tsitsipas, beat Nori, though, at Wimbledon. So we've at least seen him do that at a major in the last three majors. On the other side of things, look, Andre Rublev's been really good and beaten who he's supposed to beat at majors for most of the past two seasons. In fact, he's 27-2. and 27-2. and two. Uh Excuse me, not 27-2. and two. Good math there, Alex. I just went back to 2023. We'll try this again. Leave it in, though. 21 and 4 against opponents ranked outside the top 20. 21 and 4 against opponents ranked outside the top 20 since the start of 2022 at the majors. His losses, by the way, Chilich twice, Francis Tiafo at the US Open, and then his loss to Lorenzo Sinego in round three of Roland Garros last year. A five set loss, by the way. So it's pretty darn good uh, for Andre Rublev. 21 and 4 again against top. Opponents ranked outside the top 20 since the start of 2022. If you want to go back one more year, he's 30-7 and seven since the start of 2021 at the majors in these scenarios. But here's a fun fact for you. Against opponents ranked uh, – against opponents over six foot four. Over six foot four, people like Chris Eubanks who are going to have those massive first serves, the massive weapons to beat Andre Rublev with or at least apply some pressure against him with. Andre Rublev – 26 and 11 against those sorts of opponents, 6-4 or over, who are ranked outside the top 20 since the start of 2019. Now, again, he's 36 and 26 overall against 
uh, opponents over six foot four during that stretch. But that ten and fifteen record against top twenty opponents over six four, that's where the Zverevs, the Medvedevs, etc., and the countless matches they have played are all filtered in. So I wanted to filter those out. And again, Chris Eubanks is not a top twenty over six foot four player. He's outside the top twenty over six foot four. I know this is a niche stat, but again, you think about players with big weapons who have that size and speed uh, to perhaps overwhelm Rublev with, those are top 20 guys. Against the guys who are just tall with big weapons, Rublev's still typically able to break them down 26 and 11 overall against that group outside the top 20 over six foot four since the start of 2019. Again, Chris Eubanks, three and eight in his career against top 20 opponents overall. It's a first career head-to-head between these two. It always starts with the serve for Chris Eubanks. He served extraordinarily well in a straight set round one win over Taro Daniel, but I think Rublev writes the ship after his five-set first round win over Tiago Sabathfield for what it's worth. You looked at the tennis abstract singles forecast, Andre Rublev, a 90.8% favorite over Chris Eubanks. I mean, I guess that 9.2% accounts for the fact that maybe Eubanks just has one of those days on serve, but... I'll take Rublev to steady the ship here after facing the big weaponry of Sabathfield in round one. I think he's a little bit more prepared for it in round number two. I'll take Rublev in a straight set victory. Still a fun one, certainly by name. One I imagine fans will want to tune into depending on the hour of the match. The other two I have in my must-watch category... How about Tomas Martinecheverry, the number 30 seed taking on Gael Monfils? Certainly a little bit of an upset alert, although Echeverry looked excellent in a straight set win over Murray in round number one. Now, in his career on hard courts, he's just 4-11 against top 50 players. And while Monfils isn't top 50 by ranking, he certainly seemed to be playing a top 50 level once again in his round one victory Look, Echeverry, I've called, I've said it before. He's Casper Rude, 0.9%. Really solid on both wings. Very fluid in and out of the corners. The forehand is the moneymaker, but he's plenty fine. Ripping the backhand cross, going down the line with it, playing with slice, moving forward, knocking things off. At the end. He's just a well-rounded player. He's a very, very solid guy. Certainly top 50, top 40 for the next couple of years. He's going to push Gael. He's going to make that match physical. And again, much like the Yannick Hoffman match, I think we're going to get to see Gael flex his athletic muscles. He's going to come up with the drop shots. He's going to have to come up with some counter-punching excellence for what it's worth since making his return to the tour. Gael Monfi, 9-7 against top 50 opponents, has certainly regained his form along the course of the way. He's got a win over a Demon Hour on a hard court, over a Nori on a hard court, over a Eubanks, a Tsitsipas on a hard court. He's slowly but surely starting to find his confidence. Again, Echeverry's going to push him. Echeverry's going to be up for the test. Echeverry's going to give him nothing easy. And so that will be the real test for Gael Monfi. Are you ready to, to undergo the four hours of physicality that will be required to knock off Tomas Martin Echeverry? I'm going to lean Echeverry to advance, reach the third round, hold seed. Uh, you look according to Tennis Abstract, Echeverry, indeed, the underdog. 20.5%. Wow. T- Tennis Abstract singles forecast leaning heavy to that Gael Mofi background. Mofi 79.5% favorite. Now, look, I think this is the last win either guy was going to possibly earn. Winner's going to likely face Novak Djokovic. And so, again, get that last win in while you can. Get those points. Get that prize money. I guess I'll take an upset, according to Tennis Abstract, by leaning with Echeverry, but that speaks to, I think this is going to be a good match, certainly going to be a physical one. Last but not least, Djokovic versus Popperin. Look, 
Novak should be the favorite, as he is. Novak, 98.1% according to Tennis Abstract. He beat Paparin 4-2 and two in Tokyo, their one career head-to-head back in 2019. Novak's 59-3 and three against opponents ranked outside the top 20 on hard courts since August 2020. 59-3. and He's won 95% of his matches. His last loss, Dubai 2022, to Yuri Veshley, which was, of course, his first tournament back after being exiled from the Australian Open. So certainly some context around that. He's won like 30 subsequently or 25 consecutive in a row since then against opponents outside the top 20 on hard courts. Popperin, for what it's worth, 8-16 in his career against the top 20 on hard courts, 4-8 against the top 10, but wins against Fritz, FAA, and Tsitsipas, and Dominic Team A little bit different, I suppose, than trying to take on Novak Djokovic at this event, his event of all events. That said, Popperin will have a crowd behind him. It is still Australia. They won't root against Novak. They'll be rooting for Popperin. Djokovic pushed to four hours in his opening round of match. Looked like he was slowly but surely calculating things and gearing himself up. Popperin serve his forehand. They're explosive. Like, he's going to take clean rips. He hits winners against anyone, regardless of opponent. And, you know, the luxury of playing Novak, you know, hey, I get to swing freely because if I don't, I'm losing anyways. Did you hear that 59-3 and record against opponents outside the top 20 on hard court since the start of August 2020? Djokovic is going to win, but again, he's 36 years old. This is him at his quintessential event. Dare I stay still remarkably close to the peaks of his powers. Uh, Keep your eye on this match. It's always fun to watch an Aussie in Australia, and certainly, again, he's got some weapons. He'll have the opportunity to swing freely. How? What sort of form does Novak Djokovic have to start this 2024 season as well? Again, still an open question given he hasn't looked his best. The loss to Demon Hour in United Cup, uncharacteristic. Obviously, four sets against Prismich. I think that said more about Prismich than Djokovic. And I'm not concerned about Novak's level, but I'm always curious to see where he's at at this point of the year. So certainly keep it on the list. Djokovic versus Popperin. The ending of my four must-watch matches. Again, I have Demon Hour versus Arnaldi as number one. Rublev Eubanks, two. Echeverry Monfi, three. Djokovic, Popperin, number four. I've got four for the nerds in this section. Francisco Sarundla wins in five set in round number one. It was an anything but inspiring victory. He's got a very much informed Fabian Marazan, the Hungarian, a four-set win over Marin Cilic in round one. Marazan's just sneaky. He's solid everywhere. He's not going to... You know, again, and he can generate much more pace than Dane Sweeney, Sarundolo's first opponent, could. Sweeney was just absorbing, redirecting, and hoping for Sarundolo errors, which he was gifted enough of to push the match five sets. Marzan's not going to give him anything free. Sarundolo has to step up his level. And again, a guy 22 in the world. Others are nipping at the heels to take that position from him. If he doesn't step up his level, he's going to lose it. That's a fascinating match. Francis Tiafo, the 17th seed, taking on Thomas Mychek. That has nothing to do with any concern about Tiafo. It has everything to do with Mychek, who's had so much success at the challenger level over the last 52 weeks. He's 68 in the live rankings right now, four off his career high as the 23-year-old. He's just solid off both wings. Going to give nothing to Francis easy. Francis is going to have to sustain the level we saw from him in that round one match against Chorich. That's going to be a fun match. Again, I think I think Marazan beats Sarundolo. I think Tiafo beats Mychek. According to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast, Sarundolo a 61.7% favorite. Tiafo only 558 
against my check. A name you haven't heard, but that speaks to his success. The tennis abstract formula respects it, as do I from an eye test perspective. Guy just doesn't have a definitive weakness, can snap a ball by you, well-rounded athlete. Not quite Arnaldi level, but again, pretty solid off of both wings. Speaking of athleticism, how about Musetti versus Von Asch? A couple of 23 and uh, 22 and under guys going head-to-head. Musetti, just a 59.8% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Both guys' forehand technique, a little bit funky. Both backhands, absolutely beautiful. Both guys, such fluid movers in the outer third. So comfortable and capable extending rallies. I trust the serve of Musetti a little bit more. I think he's going to have opportunities to be the aggressor, move forward, which he does more comfortably and frequently than Van Asha, but he doesn't hit a bigger ball. I mean, he can when he's extending through things, like his weapons are bigger than Van Asha, but rally to rally, again, Van Asha's pretty good at absorbing, redirecting, particularly backhand cross. He'll just snap one by you at a split second's notice. Coming off of a five-set win, I wonder how much gas he has left in the tank. Musetti four sets in round one. That's just going to be good tennis. I'll take Musetti in four. And then this one's really for the nerds. Hatchinov versus Kovacevic. Beautiful ball striker. Alex Kovacevic, always on my list. Welcome to the top 100 to the former University of Illinois All-American. This is more about Karen Hatchinov, who, again, when we last saw him healthy, made semifinals back-to-back of U.S. Open and Australian Open consecutively 2022-2023. A guy who was playing top eight tennis before getting injured last year. How close can he be to getting back to that level here to start this season? 79.3% favorite. I think he will advance over Kova, particularly coming off of Kova's first five-set victory. But... Again, good litmus test for the Russian. That's my final in the nerd section. One of what? We have 32 singles matches back on the schedule. There are thoughts on eight for the men, eight for the women. So hopefully that is an extensive enough preview of day four for all of you listeners to feel prepared for the action to begin. Of course, if you've missed out on anything that's happened to date, go check out our mini break podcast feed where we'll have recaps for you each and every day. A shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff for the of an any job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out to him, a shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's Tennis point.com the promo code is cr15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world with that said for our fantastic super producer daniel westoff and from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say hey great job and we'll see you all before day five thanks everyone